Fulfilling your artistic dreams and desires can be a challenge for sure, but when you add in the complexity of a busy family life and the responsibilities that that entail, it can seem impossible. The question is, how do we manage it all? I've been teaching basic productivity to artists who are dealing with the challenges of university and college environments trying to make their way in the world. And I've also been a freelancer for over 20 years. And people often ask me how I manage all of the multiple projects and things that I'm doing, because in addition to completing a full-time professional artistic workload, I also do YouTube and I run courses and I do a whole bunch of other stuff as well. Back in the day when I was starting my artistic journey, I would often oscillate between being a complete workaholic, a crazy deadline fiend, and just being lazy sometimes, dealing with massive procrastination. Now that I'm happily married, my wife and I have three children, I've had to be a lot more measured. And in this episode, what I want to do is unpack some of the tactics and strategies that I use to survive and thrive in the chaos of busy family life as an artist. Welcome back to Visual Scholar Podcast. My name is Tim McBurney. I've been a professional working artist for over 20 years. And on this show, we're all about demystifying the worlds of art, creativity, and productivity so that you can get better faster and enjoy your artistic journey. I think as artists, we're always trying to fulfill these, I guess, ultimate dreams and desires of what we imagine artistic success being. This is obviously going to be different for all of us. A lot of the artists that people classify as capital A artists, again, I always like to bring up the Picassos of the world and the people who engage in a lot of artistic angst. The people that non-artists often identify as being artistic or very creative, these people often do sort of shed a lot of their responsibility. They try and be rebellious and to a certain degree, you know, they try and avoid growing up and doing a lot of these other responsible things. And I think there is just generally this narrative that, again, responsible people don't pursue their creative um, endeavors. You just kind of have to close off a lot of those avenues in your life. I grew up idolizing a lot of the more not necessarily modern artists that really wasn't my thing but in terms of fantasy art and illustration the people who caught my eye were the people who were a little bit more on the maverick avant-garde side the people who had an emotional quality to their work who were a little bit larger than life and some of them did fit this mold of being these kind of artists in studios, living this kind of weird waif-like life, you know, flittering from one thing to another, not necessarily working day in, day out. But there were a lot of artists who did have families and really seemed to be solid family people and that that was a massive part of their value. They did approach art with a blue-collar worker's attitude. I think of the classic comic book artists that I really admired, people like Jack Kirby and people of that time who were really just doing this as a job and talked a lot about how essentially they were just working for their family, although they were creative and did a lot of really amazing things. 
Likewise, I was a huge fan of Frank Frazetta, and I thought that he had a really sort of avant-garde, amazing sort of artistic style that challenged a lot of conventional things at the time. He really broke through, and yet he was a guy who just kind of lived that kind of blue-collar attitude. He had a family, um, he had a wife, and, you know, he seemed to be happily married, and he seemed to have kids, and that that was a big part of his life. So, Again, I think a lot of this comes down to what we perceive as role models and the mental model that we have about what is and isn't possible and what being an artist really means. Often what we need is a map for how these things are done. I can imagine that for female artists who are the primary caregiver to a young child, that is a really, really complicated situation of how you manage your own desires and your own dreams with the need to look after a young child almost 24-7. Again, often what we're after is some kind of feeling of what is and isn't possible. What should our expectations be? It's important to remember that this is a long game and what's happening right now doesn't need to define what is going to happen for the rest of your life. For me personally, a lot of this has come down to the tools that I have developed to deal with productivity and focus. A lot of this has to do with the skills that you can develop for changing the fundamental equation. What we need to do primarily is either arrange our life so that we have a little bit more time to work on our craft and also to make sure that we have energy and focus to get more done when we are actually spending that time. Likewise, a lot of the ways that I think we can find success are very much specific to our situation, the things that we have and the particular responsibilities that we do carry within the family. For instance, in my situation, I am married. My wife and I have three kids. They are relatively young at the moment. The oldest is six. The youngest is four months. And we have, uh, despite coming from very alternative backgrounds, we have a very sort of standard arrangement. I am the primary income earner, so I work more or less full time. And I got to a pretty good point in my career where I had some sense of artistic ability and skill and job security in the freelance that I was doing before I got to the stage of having a family and having to take on that responsibility. But it can still be a lot. For instance, if I look at my current situation and workload, for those that don't know, I am a freelancer. I work from home and I've kind of always worked from home. And at the moment, I kind of only have one job, which is fairly unique for me. Normally, I'm juggling three or four different freelance projects, but the moment I'm creating a comic book for a video game, and that involves quite a lot of complex different things. And this really is a full-on workload. I have to write and draw, color, letter, 12 pages of a comic essentially per month. I have to do most of that sort of by myself. I'm also involved in a lot of the marketing efforts for that. So again, this is a fairly sort of complex full-time role. As should also be evident, I run two YouTube channels. I have this one, which is my podcast. I also have the Drawing Codex channel where I do a lot of drawing tutorials. And on both of them, I'm always trying to improve the quality of the content, trying to figure out how to do YouTube a little bit better. I'm always trying to post regularly to these things, but if you've noticed over the last few months, I have been less than good at actually staying regular. And that's because, as I said, we have a four month old. So four months ago, my schedule got pretty much kind of turned upside 
upside down, which is okay because that's exactly what I was expecting because we'd already done it twice before. The biggest challenge, again, as you can imagine or relate to is the uncertainty I think that this brings. Again, I've always been a little bit of a workaholic um, and people have always kind of said that. I've always been able to manage a lot of things, but having a family just creates a lot of extra chaos to a schedule and it means that it's very hard to run things smoothly and really optimize everything down to the minute. It's always one of those situations where everyone gets sick. All your kids get sick. They get sick one after another. We have a small baby and you're wondering, look, is the baby going to get sick? Oh, the baby is sick. You know, how sick are they? They have a temperature. You know, what is the temperature? And you're kind of monitoring it all night and freaking out. And, you know, then you got to get up in the morning and do stuff. It's often just this extra kind of uncertainty, the extra chaos of that that kind of makes being productive when you sit down to do your art as a hobby or again as a job it makes that just that extra bit challenging the curveballs just seem to keep happening you have all of this sickness happening and then all of a sudden your two-year-old will get croup in the middle of the night and you have to take them to the emergency room which will take six or seven hours and then you'll get back at 4 a.m and then you'll still have to take your other child to school at 8 a.m and again the deadlines just seem to keep coming and look, it's not like the career choice that I have, this artistic game that we're all in is the most reliable, especially when, you know, I'm working in video games or something like that, which I am at the moment. The company that I'm working for back in December last year in 2022 had some cuts. I think they cut about look 20% of people, something around there. And just a few months ago, they actually cut a lot more. It was a total bloodbath. They let go of 77% of people and it was just a massive reorganization. So amidst all of this other chaos, again, having new babies, everyone being sick, uh, a lot of these other things are up for grabs as well. And we've had to spend a lot of time reconfiguring processes and production workflows for the comics so yeah look it's a lot but you know to be honest I kind of like the challenge of a lot of this I find that as I've said in other episodes if I kind of have everything under control if I have a reasonable schedule I tend to underperform and get a little bit sort of lackadaisical about life which again can be fun but when I look back at it I really enjoy the times when everything was fun and interesting and exciting and there's always something to think about again it is a situation where I've built up my sort of freelance career to be a little bit chaotic so it kind of feels a bit wrong if everything's kind of working and all the trains are running on time. So I find that if I can manage it, that look, it is kind of fun. It is interesting. There's never a dull day. Anyway, that's at least where I'm coming from. Just to give you an idea for, you know, the kind of situation I'm in. And hopefully this adds some context to the advice I'm going to give, which is really a matter of looking at some basic productivity tools. But really thinking about how they relate specifically to artists, to us, and the challenges that we face. And I'll talk about how I've used them in my own career and my own life. And again, give a few examples for maybe some ideas for how you could incorporate them into your day. So in a little bit, I'll dig into these ideas. And there's three that I think are really important. The first is just the idea of the Pareto principle, the power law, and I think how that really relates to how we should view the things that we do and don't do. The second is the idea of flow and focus, and I think how important it is to focus and get actual work done when we can. 
And lastly, I'm going to talk about ritual, which is something I've talked about quite a bit. It's a huge passion of mine. I think it unlocks a lot of the secrets to being a productive and happy artist. But what I found is that there's a lot of things I need to mix into the ritual and to really understand this properly in order to really succeed in this busy, chaotic family life. But before I dig into those, I think there's a couple of really key concepts that are really good to go into these tactics and strategies with. These are things that I think perhaps we can meditate on and I think will give us a lot of wisdom. These are good thought processes to have if you do get stuck. First is really just to understand the concept of expectation and how I think that can really affect how we are sort of happy or how trapped or how free we feel. There's two real sort of major aspects to the feeling of expectation. I think we have internal expectations, which are going to define how we maybe thought life would go with a busy family or once you have children after maybe, again, enjoying a more sort of free artistic life before that. I think we often have images or ideas and some of them can be very solid about how we thought things would go, what would be good, what would be bad. And I think in general, a lot of these expectations are best left in the dust because it's a lot easier, I found, to find happiness when we just sort of look at what is happening. And it's very rare in my experience that any of the ideas that I've had about what would or would not be good about doing these things, having this extra responsibility, being busier with a family and how that would affect my art and what I'd be able to do. It's very rare those have sort of came true, right? It's always been a little bit different. And I think I've had the most enjoyment and positive experience when I've been able to go into things without any internal expectation. I know that sounds a little bit abstract, but again, hopefully you know what I mean here. The other type of expectation that I think is really relevant to us as artists is the external expectations, the societal expectations, maybe expectations that people in your family or your parents have about what it means to be an artist or what is good about being a responsible person who has a family. I think there's a lot of these ideas that are out there and hanging on to, you know, sort of societal norms about what should or shouldn't be happening. At the very least, I'd say they're not that useful. The second concept here that I think is good to meditate on is that necessity is the mother of invention. You can really often only find the real solutions to these things when you're in the thick of it. And I think that's something to really respect is that you are the product of a large amount of evolution and adaptation and natural skill building. And that, you know, look, the bottom line is you probably got this. You just have to really look at what's happening right now and try and solve these problems. The third concept that I think is really key is that the work expands to fit the time allotted. This is just such a true little axiom thing. The work expands to fit the time allotted. Often when we are sitting there single and you may have a happily sort of married without children situation, we have a lot more free time and often we just kind of waste that time, you know, for better or worse. That's often the experience of people who have busy family lives is, what on earth did I do before I had all this stuff happening? What was going on? What did I spend my time doing? 
most of the time it was just you let the work expand to fit the time allotted. And I think it generally will. And I found that when I put myself under a lot of pressure, I'm often surprised at what I can get done. And I think this is a fundamental truth about how we perceive effort and work and quality and all of these things that you need to pay attention to. What this basically means is that often if you give yourself less time, you really focus on it, you'll be able to get the same amount of stuff done anyway, or you'll just find a way to make it work. All right, so I think those ideas are really key. And what I wanna do is again, just understand that's kind of where I'm coming from in general. These are the tools and the foundational concepts that I found best serve me at any rate. And we can sort of take them as we you know, start to discover and look at these three tools. So the first real tool or you know, framing concept that I think is really worth doing, the thing that I think makes the most difference is to understand the power law, the 80-20 rule, or the Pareto principle. Now, if you've looked at a lot of productivity literature, I think this idea is not new. You've probably heard of this somewhere. The fundamental idea behind the Pareto principle or the power law is that Look, the majority of the positive stuff that happens comes from a minority of things that we actually do. So often if you're trying to achieve something, what you have to understand is, look, the majority of that thing actually happening and you actually doing it, it's probably going to come from a very small amount of things that you actually do. If you're not really into the math of that, or again, that seems very much like a rule. I think there's a lot of other ways, though, that we can view this. And I do think that this is sort of one little window into a larger concept that I think is vital when it comes to getting things done. So I think there's a number of ways we can look at this concept or idea to help our productivity. You could obviously just look at it as a basic productivity hack, look at the things that you're doing, look at the goals you have, and then really try and think about if you could only do one or two things to get to your goal, what would they be? If you only had a certain number of hours per week to do something, what would you do? What would be the thing that you would do that, again, would be the last thing to go um, to just make sure you were still, again, feeling like you were achieving your goals or getting the things done that you needed done? Again, this is a very amorphous concept because it's going to be specific to you. But Often we are just doing stuff that we're kind of doing for no reason. We're maybe worried and that this is, you know, going to ruin everything if we stop doing it. But if you actually look at all the actions you're taking from a stylistic point of view or from an effort point of view, there's frequently things like this in an artistic process or workflow or experience that I think are very telling. Often we are putting a lot of effort into our art or doing things that don't actually make much difference to the finished image, but maybe we're sort of afraid of not doing them. Often people are wanting to put in too much detail or do more stuff because they feel like that gives value to the work. That again, we're maybe you know doing too many steps or something or another because we feel like that's important. And I think the reality is often if you kind of take that out, the work is still there. It can still be good. So it's worthwhile looking at this from purely a stylistic point of view. But you could also view it from a career standpoint. What are the things you're doing in your career that are going to help you or not help you? Um, again, just focusing on the simple things. One of the major ideas that I teach in a lot of the courses about drawing 
ensuring is developing a simple, reliable process. And really, this is about stripping out all of the steps and things that are kind of not necessary and trying to find something that is just very basic and very reliable so that you can work on the things that I think are probably going to matter, which is the story and the narrative and the idea behind your images. Often as artists, we get sort of caught up in like doing a whole bunch of technique because we feel like if I did all this technique and I have all these ideas and I'm using all these different tools, therefore I'm more of an artist or I'm more of a, you know, sort of an advanced person. And again, I think often what we find is people don't really care about that. It doesn't really move the needle. It doesn't make any difference. It makes us feel better. It's not really affecting the work though. You could also view this as uh, a little bit more of an amorphous philosophical concept, which is I think often success comes down to not what we are doing, but it's about what we're not doing. It's just as important to figure out what you're going to say no to, to maybe keep yourself open or to just not do a whole bunch of nonsense that again, isn't really going to make us happy. One of the things that I do personally in this instance is... I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch a lot of movies. I don't play any video games really these days. I keep up. I, you know, watch people play video games on YouTube sometimes. I, you know, I play now and then. I have a good idea of like where the industry is. I obviously watch a few movies, but, you know, if something's not really that good, I just turn it off. It's also worth noting that when we are really focusing on being productive, that if you kind of, uh, you know, only do a few of them, they're much more fun right? Because again, I think we appreciate sitting down to, you know, entertain ourselves in that way much more. If you're watching a favorite movie or something's really important, again, I think it's just a matter of, look, doing less, right? The less of those things I do, the better, right? The more I'm able to work on my art. Now that's, again, that's my choice, but this is how I have assessed this because I've looked at this and I've just realized, look, you know, watching another, you know, Netflix series just doesn't make me that happy. Um, and again, I found ways to connect with family that are much better than kind of sitting down and watching TV together. I think this can also be a major aspect of career choice and really thinking carefully about the jobs you take on and the career options you have. I think often we say yes to too many jobs that maybe don't pay enough. And I think if you're a little bit more selective about what you do and really value your time, there's a lot of things you could say no to in terms of, again, building more tools, more skills, watching a whole bunch of garbage you don't actually want, doom scrolling a bunch of social media, and that fundamentally the more stuff you say no to, the more freedom you have to kind of figure out what you actually want to do. I, that hopefully doesn't sound too prescriptive. Again, that's just the sort of choices that I make. But when you really look at this, I think thinking about what you don't do and the things that you say no to are just important as figuring out like where you're going. How this is relevant, I think, to people with sort of families is that often, again, we just have habits of a certain amount of stuff that we would watch or video games we would play and there are expectations put upon us, right? And I think it's just important to try and make as much as you can the time that you spend doing your art something you really enjoy. It shouldn't feel too much like work, right? It should be something where this is a really sort of fulfilling, relaxing, you know, again, ritualistic thing to do. And look, it may not be that way in the beginning. You may need to work up towards that, but understand that again, that is kind of the goal is that we're creating this ability for us to go and work on our art and for that to be something that enriches our life in a major, major way. And that if you can get to that point as a goal, I think it again, raises the quality of your life overall. And again, the relationships within your family as well. All right. So that's the idea of the 80-20 rule. 
And again, there's multiple ways I think you can use this idea. It really is just a matter of looking at what is important in your life, what brings you joy, what doesn't, and just be brutal. Just cut out the stuff that you don't really need to do. Just think about what you want to do in that instance. Again, this is obviously in addition to, you know, taking care of all the responsibilities and, you know, being a, a great member of your family, doing all that stuff. I'm not sort of talking about not doing any of that. I'm really just talking about, again, the things that we do for ourselves the things that we're doing in our career, the choices that we're making to just be very brutal about what we should and shouldn't be doing in that instance. The next thing that I think is worth looking at is the idea of focus. And this is very much linked to the ideas of flow and staying out of the gray zone. If you are really pressed for time and you are trying to get a lot of deadline work done and things are busy, the best productivity hack is to stay out of the gray zone. Do not multitask. Make sure when you're on, you're on. You're actually working and you're following all of the basic rules that would be there for sort of full focused, full engagement productivity. Now, I think I've made a whole video on this concept before. I think a lot of these ideas were sort of popularized in a book called The Power of Full Engagement by Tony Schwartz. And again, I forget the other author's name. But the concept here is, again, very much one of these ideas that you know, one of these books that's based in scientific sort of evidence and people have put a lot of effort into this. But the bottom line is just don't watch YouTube while you work if you want to be productive. Try and focus and try and work with your sort of ultradian rhythms and your natural body rhythms. This means don't burn yourself out. Try and make sure that you take a lot of breaks. And again, make sure you're just focusing on one thing. This is a very simple trick. I think that the way I often use it is that, again, I have different things that I need to do at particular points in the day. And when I know that I absolutely have to just be on and get a whole bunch of stuff done, I've been really surprised, again, necessity being the mother of invention, how much I've been able to do in one day if I really just turn all the stuff off and focus and follow these rules. The basic system, if you don't want to check out that video, I'll put a link in the description so you, you can just remember. Um, is that you kind of want to work in like sort of one hour blocks or, you know, like smaller blocks. Some people use the Pomodoro, the tomato timer method, which is sort of 25 minute blocks or something like that. But basically you're on, you're focusing, you're not doing anything else. Then you take a break, you relax, you go for a walk. Maybe again, for me, I work from home. I go out and I see what's happening, see what kids are doing, see what uh, my wife is doing and, you know, just sort of take a break, right? Um, and then I go back in and I kind of work and I focus again, right? So again, that's just, just a way of sort of, uh, you know, working with your body and making sure you don't burn out. Likewise, I think if you look at this over the long run, if you really focus and get good at this and understand how flow works, you're going to be able to get a lot more done. And I think it's a lot easier to convince people within your family to give you those focused times if you use them well, if you actually get a lot of stuff done. And again, the whole concept of working with the power of full engagement is that you should get a lot more time off to work and play with your family as well. So again, the goal is not to be a workaholic there. It's very much a matter of sort of making sure you're being hyper-efficient, hyper-focused. That's how we work best. And I think if you really follow this 
sort of ideology with your own work, it's going to give you the best mix of both worlds. Because again, you'll be able to play video games and do those other things that you want, have fun, and also spend a lot of time with people that is focused and where you have energy for that. And it's important to take those breaks, take the recreation, because that's what actually allows you to focus fully in the first place. So as I said, I personally use this when I have deadline city, right? When I really need to get stuff done. But I think if you are trying to manage maybe a freelance life or maybe trying to do this as a hobby and you have a lot of people who maybe are like not quite willing to give you the time, right? Because it's a huge ask sometimes to make other people in your life, you know, be the sole parent or whatever, um, you know, when you're sitting there doing your art. And I think having the trust there where you say, look, just give me 25 minutes and then I'm going to come back out or just give me an hour and then I'm going to come back out. In fact, thinking about this, I probably need to go out there pretty soon. Um, if you just give me this time, then, you know, make sure there's no distractions. We've got the door closed. I will come out and when I come out, I will be fully focused on what's happening there. I think it's a much better deal that way. And if you can really work on that yourself and as a family with the people who are able to sort of help you with that, I think you're much more likely to be able to get that artistic time you want to kind of sit down, do your thing, and I think what you'll find is, again, this doesn't need to be you sitting there in a room for six or 10 hours a day. Um, this can be a situation where you do get lots of breaks. You are able to come out and engage. And I think ultimately it kind of works out overall. Lastly, the number one tool that I think has really helped me is this concept of a ritual. And again, I've made an entire video on this and I'll put that in the description down below on YouTube if you want to get that. And again, I'll also, you know, it'll be something you can check and find uh, in podcast platforms if you check out the show. The, the idea of ritual is really just a matter of building patterns and habits in your life to get you into flow, to allow you to actually focus, making sure your environment and the time of day that you work is, you know, a habit. It's a ritual. This is what will allow you to really get on board and get off board and focus. I think there's a number of ways that this is really important from a family life perspective. The first is that, again, if you have some regularity to these things, it's easy for other people to plan around you. Also, if you make sure you always have an off-ramp to your major sort of working time slot, it's a lot better and easier for you to consciously disengage from work and then engage with the other things that you need to do. Again, going outside, playing with everyone and trying to be a good parent. The thing I have really found though, where this has changed with me being just a freelancer by myself or just married versus having a whole bunch of children and having a busy family is that the ritual can't always be that sort of solid. It can't always be that habitual. It can't always happen at the same time. I would, you know, every day kind of walk to a cafe and I'd do a bunch of sketching and then I'd sort of walk back and then, you know, me and my wife would have lunch, you know, later on or, you know, dinner later on. And, you know, then I'd sort of work till four in the morning and I'd be like, oh, this is a good ritual. I've got this sorted out. That just does not work, right? It's not how I can get stuff done these days. But it's also not the case that I've found that like, oh, now that I'm, you know, married and I have a family, I have to have a nine to five schedule. I've actually found that my need to modify the schedule and the ritualistic engagement that I have with my work has to vary a lot. It has to be very flexible, not day to day because a ritual and a habitual artistic practice is about 
making sure that you, again, are doing it at a particular time, but that frequently from maybe every few months, every year, these rituals change quite a lot. I've had situations where the thing that makes sense is to get up at 4 a.m., go for a run and get back just as the dawn is rolling in. And then I would have a bunch of meetings with a bunch of people in the States, in America, which again is early in Australia. And then I'd get some more work done and everyone would wake up and then I'd feel great because I got a whole bunch of things done. And again, I had that focus time and I was able to, you know, again, live my artistic life. And that worked for me and I kind of figured that out. But then again, you know, sometimes later on, again, children grow, they change age and they have different requirements. And to a certain degree, you know, it got to the point where I couldn't do that because if I got up early in the morning, it would kind of wake everyone up. And if anyone sort of woke up and I wasn't there, they would freak out, right? And then it would wake everyone else up. So I had to kind of completely swap it and say, okay, now my ritual is, you know, I get up at this time, you know, with everyone else. But again, I sort of just have a work block that is kind of after everyone goes to sleep. And I kind of work that as a ritual and I sort of figure out how to make that work. So it's not that, um, you know, this is changing all the time, but one of the best things I think you can do is to really look at what is happening right now, free from expectation, free from what was possible, but to really think like, how can I optimize my ritual to work with what's happening right now in terms of the, the chaos? And I found that this changes all the time. And again, every six months or so, I sort of reorganize this and I'm like, oh, this is happening now and that's happening now. So I think there's probably a free spot over here. You think of it as a puzzle piece, trying to you know put all of these things in the right spot. And I feel organizing that and really figuring out how I can best optimize my day. Look, it's never optimal because I'm not necessarily a morning person. But again, what I found is that when that spot was open, overall, that was better. And even though I don't like getting up at four in the morning, it kind of worked for me and I was able to actually get a lot of stuff done. And then I kind of felt good because I felt like I'd already achieved a lot during the day and that kind of worked overall. So again, it's not always going to be ideal, but I think the more flexible you can be, the better you can get at modifying your rituals throughout the day and kind of figuring out, oh, let's sort of build something here. Let's try to get this habit going. Um, I think that the more you can do that, the better. For instance, another ritual that I had that last probably about a year was I would wake up uh, as soon as our kind of, let's say probably like one, one and a half year old would wake up and I would take her to a cafe, right? And so we'd go, she would wake up really early, but not everyone in the house would want to wake up early. So I'd, I'd wake up with her um, and we'd sort of go for a walk, right? And we'd go to a cafe and I'd sort of have breakfast and I'd have coffee and we'd sort of eat and hang out there. Again, this is a very small, um, you know, baby that doesn't really talk, but she was old enough to, you know, sort of be with me, right? Um, and so we'd do that for an hour, you know, hour and a half or something like that, as long as I kind of could. And I would use this to get exercise. It would be a morning walk. Um, you know, we would sort of hang out and I would just, you know, answer my emails on my phone, you know, do a whole bunch of sort of stuff, you know, while we were just kind of hanging out. She was just very happy kind of, you know, people watching at a cafe, right? There's plenty of stuff to do. There's like dogs and stuff. So she was kind of happy. I was able to do a bit of stuff if I could. And uh, again, you know, that's something where I did that for about a year. Um, and uh, then, you know, she sort of got sick of it and we didn't do that anymore. Um, but again, it's just an example of, again, something that I, I felt worked. Uh, it kind of worked for the situation. It was a good ritual. I was able to kind of, you know, make a whole bunch of stuff work. And 
again, the best way I can I can sort of describe it is that, again, it's like a puzzle piece. When you kind of see a bunch of puzzle pieces and they kind of go together, just put them together. Um, and often I found that really good rituals and habits appeared from that. So how you would use this, I have no idea, right? Again, this is so much about you and how you know experienced you are at developing this. But again, the skill building thing here that I think is really good that I found useful is to get good at developing a ritual and then also changing it, right? Redeveloping the ritual. Not having the expectation, again, that I'm a morning person. I don't get up in the morning. It's like too bad, right? Um, you know, this is just a really good way for me to maybe overcome that. And yes, look, I'm not always on. I'm not always my most creative. I'm not always doing my you know best thinking early in the morning because I'm more of a night owl. But again, just in this phase of my life for a few years, I'm probably not going to be able to stay up late. Um, and I'll just get up early and I'll do all the stuff that really doesn't, you know, need me to be that creative or that on. There's a whole bunch of work I can do early in the morning. Um, and I found if I did that again, you know, the whole week works. And, uh, again, I can kind of, you know, keep things going for a few months at least. So those are the three ideas that I think have really sort of helped me the most. Again, there's a whole bunch of other things and ideas that I've had and little tactics and things that I use. But again, the idea of the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule, I think is really fundamental, as is the concept of the power of full engagement or focus, working with your natural biorhythms. I think if you can really understand that, you get a lot more done. And lastly, just as I said, if you can really master the art of developing a ritual and then, you know, redeveloping a ritual, I think that can be really helpful. Lastly, I think, again, it's really good to think about and meditate on what we're actually doing here. Often, again, so much of this comes down to expectation and the stories that we tell. People are often talking about this stuff as like, you know, life is like a marathon, right? You have to take it easy. You have to play the long game. I feel like often, yes, but, you know, having a busy family, um, and again, I'm sure it's like busy and different when you have older children as well. It's, you know, has a particular flavor of busyness and chaos. I know people with much older children who, again, they're not dealing with all these sort of morning and, and night sort of chaotic things. Um, but again, you know, their weekends are just full ferrying children to one sporting event from another, right? And that's just kind of all they do. Again, we all have challenges. They're all different. But, you know, I really think it is that this phase of our life is more like, again, like it's like trail marathon, right? It's like sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down, sometimes it's rocky, sometimes there's really no foothold at all. Sometimes it's wet, sometimes it's hot, sometimes it's slippery. You just really don't know. So much, I think, of success that I found in this insofar as I found success, again, being able to maintain a you know degree of workaholicism um, and, and train, be a good parent and a good husband and a good you know family person is understanding that sometimes you just have to fold them. You just cannot keep going. Some of these days are just a write-off and that's the reality. It's easy to say and I think a lot of these books make it out to be that, oh, you know, you just have to do X, Y, Z and just, yeah, do the 80-20 rule and like optimize, optimize. But look, sometimes just, you know, stuff happens, right? And the day is gone. It's just not going to happen. Sometimes it's just chaos and you need to kind of not work and go and help out. Sometimes that, you know, ends up, you know, with chaos and push deadlines, Sometimes, again, there'll be weeks where I really just look, it's just a write-off week. Nothing's really happening and I have to find a way to manage the deadlines there. But 
The real trick is not necessarily to worry too much about that chaos because, again, I think the fundamental thing we're trying to do is manage energy. It's not about time always. It's about energy and focus. And I think worrying and having expectations about, oh, at this point I was meant to be X, Y, Z, and I need to have this thing done by that time. Look, if it's not possible, it's not possible. You just have to kind of chill out and go at the pace you can, which sometimes is very slow. But I think it's our ability to relax and take those parts of the Rocky Mountain at a slower pace when we know going fast is just going to burn you out. That will allow you, again, to really put in the focus when you need. And sometimes things can get tight, but I've really found viewing it that way to be the best metaphor. The other metaphor, as I kind of alluded to, is a poker metaphor. Now, I knew absolutely nothing. I I think you could probably count the amount of poker knowledge I have as a negative number. But I do understand the basic concept, which is that you have to play the hand you are dealt. And this goes back to, again, what I'm just talking about. Often, it's not a matter of, again, having expectation of like, I'm good, therefore I should be able to win. Sometimes you're given a hand, right, a day or a week or a situation where like there's very little chance of success. And I think the best way to feel good about it is to marshal your energy and save it for another day, essentially, because ultimately we are much better at doing that, right? We can work very hard on some days. We can take other days off. Sometimes it's chaos. And uh, again, I'm talking about this as a freelancer. I think a lot of people who are working day jobs, again, sometimes they just go into work and they don't do anything, right? They're just a write-off. Again, some chaos happened. They get in, they're barely functional. Everyone's like, eh, okay, you know, we'll kind of cover for you. As a freelancer, we often have the flexibility to not go into work, to take it off more. But again, our deadlines don't often change. We often have responsibilities there that are far less flexible than someone who's working in a full-time position. So there's no real, you know, free lunch here, but fundamentally, I think that metaphor of knowing when to say, I just have a bad hand now, (laughs) things are not going to get done, I'm not going to be productive for the next day, month, year, whatever, for whatever reason, and just understand that life goes on, it is a marathon, it is fundamentally a long game, and if you can fold them when you know you're not going to have a good chance, then I think in the long run, you're going to have a much better chance of coming out ahead. Because I think ultimately, a lot of these situations are transitory. I think someone mentioned in the comments um, that they were having a lot of challenge with, again, you know, having like new babies, new children, and like, look, I'm not getting anything done. Like, can you talk about this? That's kind of part of what inspired this particular episode. So I do appreciate that comment and that question. I think that was really good. I was thinking about it for a long time, trying to figure out, look, what can I possibly say? The reality is like, yes, it frequently does get better. A lot of these things where you're dealing with one problem for a few months or a few weeks or something that really disrupts your schedule or a previous ritual, these things do get better. They do go away. All of these states are transitory. Children do grow up. They grow up a lot faster often than we want them to in many situations. So again, a lot of it is just understanding how to marshal your energy over the long term as well. All right. So again, another fairly rambly, amorphous bunch of ideas. Let's look at a few quick takeaways before we go so that we can maybe think about, again, how to organize this information and look at what you can actually do. Firstly, if we look at an analytical takeaway, I think it's really just a matter of understanding the fundamental equation here is to either get more time or to use the time that you do have more effectively. If you want a simple bro takeaway for this, I would use the esteemed words of the late Bruce Lee, 
be like water, my friend. All right, if we look at some simple actual takeaways, like what do you actually do right now? I think something that's really useful is to practice going in and out of flow to really work on this idea of the full engagement situation where you are practicing listening to your body rhythms, going in and out of these ritualistic states. This is a little bit woo-woo. It's a little bit sort of, you know, on the edge. And uh, again, it's something that you either sort of instinctively understand or you don't, but it is also a skill you can build. It's, you know, this is probably the topic for another video, but again, I think that's something you can practice is really work on figuring out when you're going to go and when you're not. Secondly, I'd look at practicing changing these rituals and looking at how you go about that, finding things that work for you and then building in on and off ramps for those particular times of day, understanding when things are and aren't going to work. And again, how you can mix things up and get work done at a particular time. Often, as I said, some days are a write-off, but it's often a matter of mixing in things that you can do that are still going to be productive and going to help your overall artistic effort or deadlines that you've got, jobs that you're doing. Again, there's often things you can do when you're a little bit tired. There's some things you can't do when you're tired and just matching the particular job to the particular situation, especially if you're a freelancer, if you have a good control over this, that can be really, really useful. Again, that may not be relevant to your particular situation, but that's something I do all the time. Thirdly, I'd say find out what works for you and always question, again, your assumptions about what's happening in the particular situation, your particular week. I think frequently, again, I've been in situations where I've been trying to perpetuate a ritual, right? Again, I'm still trying to, you know, go for walks in the morning and I'm trying to do this and I notice like it's not working anymore. So always do that. Keep your eyes open and look at what's working, what's not working, basically audit it ask your questions and figure out whether there's some way you can sort of mix things up. Because again, the way that I view it is it's all a little bit chaotic and it's my job to kind of stay on my toes and make sure that I'm getting as much done as I can. I think it's also worth doing an 80-20 analysis of your life, of your style. You can just in a journal, really try and look and list out all of the things you think maybe you could do without. Again, do some of these thought experiments. Look, if you could only do, you know, a certain amount of work each day or each week, what would you do? Like, I think that naturally will allow you to ask the right question. Again, if you could only work two hours a day, what would you do? How would you try and, you know, make things still uh, work, right? Keep the lights on. I think these thoughts will get you into the right frame of mind to be brutal about what is and isn't important in your schedule and in your process and basically in everything. Lastly, kind of linked to that, Really try and set times for achieving the things that you want to do, working on your illustrations if it's a hobby or, again, getting your jobs done if you're working professionally. Really, when you are on, make sure you set times and try and do the best you can within that amount of time. If we look at a philosophical or spiritual takeaway, I like to think that a lot of these things that I'm learning right now are going to help me get better in terms of productivity overall. I think that it is good to put ourselves under pressure if we can and find our limits. And this is obviously a situation that is gonna do that. And I think building these tactics and understanding these things are gonna be really valuable in the long term. The more that we work on this, the better we're gonna be able to understand ourselves, 
being forced to do 80-20 analysis and breakdowns of what is and isn't important, again, is brutal, but it does give you insight into what you actually care about. And maybe you could be spending, you know, decades of your life wasting it away, doing stuff that really isn't going to make you happy. And having this pressure and this chaos allows us to better understand that and to get into touch with who we are and what we want. And there's really no other way to do that. As I said, necessity is the mother of invention. There's only one way to really find those things out. You have to kind of be pushed to your limit to a certain degree. So there is a lot of value, I think, in going through these trials and tribulations. We learn a lot about ourselves, about our art, and we'll have that forever. Also, if you're one of these people who believes in a lot of AI hype and you're afraid of this stuff, you should also believe that we're all going to live to about 150 because that's the same group of, you know, AI tech bros who are kind of thinking the same things. And they're all very sure that we're all going to live for a very, very long time. So if you kind of do the math, it's good to have a plan B, to do some art, to figure out something you want to do for the next 90 to 100 years of your life. Once your children are grown up and they move out of home, because as I hear, they do grow up really, really fast. Anyway, that's all we've got time for on this particular episode of the Visual Scholar Podcast. Let me know what you thought of this episode, whether you've got any things to add. A lot of this is based around my particular experience, which is a freelancer. Again, I work from home, which has a lot of positives and negatives. And maybe if you're working in a different situation, some of these things don't apply. Maybe they will. Again, I'd be really keen to know um, if you have any ideas for follow-up episodes that are related to this. The idea of family and relationships, I think, are very much linked to this. But yeah, again, I'm purposefully really trying to focus on productivity here. So I haven't talked a lot about the other things that I think are very important to living a happy artistic life and, you know, making sure that people are on board with you doing this. Again, that is also really important, but that might be the topic for another episode. Again, let me know. Other than that, catch you around on the next one.